Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, it's great to see you guys. Um, thanks for being here. Hey, I just want to let you know that uh, Ben Beaver, who leads Worship Force a lot, uh, they had a baby Thursday morning. I think his wife did most of the work. I'm not sure Ben was involved, but uh, so congratulate them and buy them some diapers, give them cash, help them some way. And, uh, but uh, congratulations to Ben and his wife, Lindsay. Thank you, Chad, for jumping in and leading our weekend for us. Uh, but I want to make sure you guys knew that so we could uh, celebrate together with him. Had a little boy, another little boy. So uh, he's on pace of three more, and he'll be keeping pace with me. So we're excited about that. But welcome. We're in the middle of a uh, series called I Care Community. And uh, you saw in the video kind of the, the emphasis of I Care. We call it just the intentionality of it, right? So the four eyes intentionally interact with God. We're praying for folks. I got these little green bracelets. There's a few of these left, not a ton. They're kind of scattered around, but a few of them left. And we said, what if we took these, put them on, wrote the first names of three people we're going to pray for every day on those. And bunches of us have been doing that, which is awesome. I think it's cool that thousands of people literally are being prayed for by name every day. And so we're doing that. And then intentionally uh, shared love. And we said, what if you were the catalyst to do good in your community, whatever your community is, that you just kind of raise your hand and say, you know, I'll, I'll do it. And so we said, you can, uh, you can dial in to like your neighborhood if there's a need there, like a cause there. Just uh, talk to the neighbors and say, hey, you know, let's do it. Just be the catalyst for it. Or if you don't have a good idea and you want one, uh, the shoe project is the idea that we threw out. We said we can collect shoes. fun watching you guys bring shoes in. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll get those off to folks uh, who are in great, great poverty. Shoes are an enormous blessing. So you can do that. And we said intentionally share hope that as we do good with our neighbors, not just to them, but with them, uh, and we build relationships, if they ask for the reason for the hope that's within us, then we'll share what Christ has done in our lives, right? To kind of tell our story. And then intentionally learn the Bible. And we said it's, it's hard to tell God's story if we don't know it. So many, many of us here at Grace are very new to uh, following Jesus and new to the Bible. We didn't grow up with it. And so we just said, why, why don't on these, you know, this little emphasis, why don't you just say, you know what, I am. I'm going to go take a class, going to kind of learn the Bible more, get my head around it a little bit, and to do all that with great intentionality. So I care. And we've been focusing on that for the last few weeks and for the next couple. And it's fun. Thanks for uh, Facebooking and hitting the website and letting us know what's going on. And I uh, hope that you keep... Uh, Keep doing that. The motivation behind of all of this comes right out of the Bible. So when you read the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, um, it, you can read it just right off the top. You can kind of skim off the top uh, that God is very clear that if you are a follower of Jesus, one of the prime directives of being a follower of Jesus is that you tell, you tell the story of Jesus or what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And the gospel, in a very brief nutshell, is just this. It's radical sin. Every human being is a sinner and by nature stands opposed to God. Radical grace. God, instead of judging us, pouring his wrath on, extends mercy and grace to us in the form of his son, Jesus. Jesus lived. He died innocently. He rose again from the dead. And there is a radical love. There's a reconciliation that happens where the sinner meets the Savior we reconcile, we're made right with God, and I receive God's great love for me, and I give my love to God. And that's the gospel in a nutshell. And the Bible says, Jesus says, the apostles, the apostles were the guys that Jesus said could talk for him. And so the, the Jesus and the apostles all said, 
hey, if you're a follower, tell people about that. Share that story, proclaim the gospel, that's the way the Bible said it. And so we would, we would look at that and have been looking at that together. We looked at uh, the Apostle Paul who said, if you're a Christ follower, you are a minister of reconciliation. Uh, you, the, the ministry and the message of reconciliation is entrusted to you. So you're an ambassador as if God were making his appeal through you. And then last weekend we looked at Jesus and Jesus uses this uh, word picture of salt and light. He said, you guys are, if you're a Christ follower, you are salt, you are light. And this is the way that this works. And through kind of those mechanisms, you proclaim or push out the, the gospel of, uh, of Jesus. And so that conversation, if you miss those details, go to our website, graceofhigh.org, and you can watch it or listen to it or get a free podcast through iTunes there if you want and kind of be filled in on those things. This weekend, I want to take the conversation another step, and uh, I want to talk about how, how do we connect with people that disagree with us, okay? Now, if you're, if you're a Christ follower, uh, you might take this conversation all the way to the depth of how do I connect with someone who doesn't agree with the gospel of Jesus? How do I do that when they disagree with it? For all of us, even if you're not a Christ follower yet, for all of us, this will show up in relationships. So you'll get kind of some practical insight from the Bible just relationally if I'm squaring off with my boss or my spouse or uh, my neighbor's a Michigan fan and they're obviously in center, I, I, how do I connect with them? How can I do that? And you'll see kind of the practical steps with it, okay? So for Christ followers, when we're talking about this sharing the gospel piece, one of the greatest challenges of sharing the gospel is creating or advancing relationships with people who disagree with the gospel, like, so how do, you, how do you do that? Someone who, who kind of uh, purposely or knowingly disagrees with the gospel of Jesus, how do you connect with them without being a Jesus jerk? How do you connect with them so that the message of Christ can come through? And that's what we're going to talk about, a little bit about today. How do, you dis- how do you connect with people who disagree with you? Uh, a guy I like uh, is a guy named Andy Stanley. I like to listen to his podcast. He's really cool. Plus, he's nasally like me, which gives me hope. So um, I like Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley says this. I'm paraphrasing his teaching, but he says, if, you're, if you want to connect with someone who disagrees with you, you first must make a decision. You first must make a decision. Here's the decision. And this is the part that's his quote. He says this. He says, you have to decide whether you, make a, you want to make a point or you want to make a difference. You have to decide whether you want to make a point or whether you want to make a difference. And I would grab that and pull that into our conversation and say, if you want to connect with someone who disagrees with you, you have to start with a decision. And the decision is, do I want to make a point or do I want to make a difference? Making a point is very simple to do. Very simple to do. It's easy. Easy peasy. Making a difference is very difficult to do, right? And we, the church, you, if you disagree with someone, probably have made your point, okay? So, so does, the, does the culture know that the church disagrees with them uh, about uh, sexual immorality? We made our point. Uh, does the culture know that the church disagrees about gay marriage? We made our point. That we disagree about abortion, we made our point. 
the number one thing that Christians in North America are known for is our opposition to gay marriage. So we, have we made our point? Right. We've made our point, right? Has it made a difference? It's a very different question, right? Have you ever, you ever uh, listened to talk radio or watch cable news and they, they bring in the, ex, the, the, the opposing sides and what do they do? They scream at each other. They scream at each other. In fact, if you're a, if you're a news junkie, you already know what they're going to say, right? Everybody knows what the other side... Have the points been made? The points have been made. Does it make a difference? Is anyone persuading anyone? Does your spouse know your point? Does your wife know what upsets you? Have you made your point? Yeah, you've made your point. Does your husband know his shortcomings? Have you made your point? Yeah, you've made your point. Do either one of you care? No, you don't, right? You don't make a difference. Because the minute that you, you've made the point so often that the minute you reiterate the point, the other person just tunes you out, right? Does your teenager know what you think? Have you made your point? Yeah, you've made your point. Do they care? No, they don't care. They don't care. I didn't care. You didn't care. Nobody cares, right? If we made our points, we made our points. Does it make a difference? It doesn't make a difference. Making a point does not make a difference. It's easy to make a point. It's very difficult to make a difference. And depending on what you decide to do, you're going to approach those relationships very, very differently. If I want to make a point, it's easy, easy peasy to do. I'm going to approach it one way. If I want to make a difference, I have to approach that relationship very, very differently. Okay? Now, as a Christ follower, one of the things that the Apostle Paul says about me is that I am an ambassador for the gospel, right? So as an ambassador, I am a person who is called to take a message from God to people who by their very nature disagree with that message. The Bible says that every human being, the one thing that all of us have in common, every human being, everywhere on the planet, the one thing we all have in common is that we're sinners. The Bible's very clear about this. So I am a sinner. And the Bible says that as a sinner, I am disconnected from God and I stand in opposition to God. I hate God in my heart. So by my very nature, I am opposed to God. I disagree with the message of Jesus by my very nature. It's who we are as human beings. Nobody ever taught you to lie. Nobody ever taught you to cheat. Nobody ever taught you to be selfish. That all is our nature. It comes naturally to us. I disagree with God in my very nature. And every person who's a Christ follower was that way until an ambassador brought the message of reconciliation and we accepted it and then God changed us. So I was that way. I, didn't, I accepted the message of reconciliation when I was 21. I was a junior in college. I was opposed to God. Then I accepted Now I'm not opposed to God, right? But I'm told to take the message to people who by their human nature are opposed to that. And I have to decide, do I want to make a point or do I want to make a difference? Do I want to make a point or do I want to make a difference? Because making a point's easy. All I got to do is, is shout, raise my voice, go to social media, make my point, right? Does it make a difference? Nope, nobody cares. So when I want to connect with someone, what do I want to do, what do I want to accomplish, and how would we go about that process 
of doing it. Let me show you what the Apostle Paul did because he made a difference. He made a difference. Let's look at Acts chapter 17. If you get your Bibles, grab them. Acts chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page uh, 772 in those Bibles. If you don't have one or a newer copy of one and you want one of those, take it and keep it. If you're electronic, we use the version app, Y-O-U version, all right? So close down Minecraft and open up the version app and you can follow right along with me. Hit live, like I don't know, I'm just saying, right? So hit live and our zip code is 44333. Acts chapter 17, now here's the deal with the Apostle Paul, let me frame it up a little bit. The Apostle Paul was a guy who was opposed to the gospel vehemently. So Paul had the ancient equivalent of a PhD. He was a highly educated person. He grew up in a city that was an academic center. So he grew up with intellectuals, highly educated, highly, highly educated, ancient equivalent of a PhD. Was a persecutor of Christians. So literally, his job for a while was to kill Christians, okay? He said about himself, we don't say it, he said it. He said, I had this supernatural interaction with Jesus. Jesus showed up and talked to me, and I accepted Christ. I accepted what he said about him, okay? And he did that when he was uh, middle-aged, right? So he wasn't like a kid or, or in college or whatever. He was a, a middle-aged guy, a professional with a PhD, accepted Christ, and become a, became a great, great advocate for Jesus, Okay? So in Acts chapter 17, what Paul did for the rest of his life until he was martyred was he went around trying to help other people know this message. He went and he interacted with people who by nature disagreed with the message of Jesus. And he would tell folks about the good news of the kingdom. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, at the beginning of it, the Bible says this was his custom. He would travel to a city and it was his custom to go into the synagogue or into the places of thought and he would reason and debate. When you think of the word debate, don't think of it as an argument. Think of it as an academic exercise, okay? So he would reason or he would debate with the thinkers in his town. Some people would come to like Paul's point of view. Others would get completely honked off and they would chase him out of town. So Paul got chased out of town a bunch. We're gonna pick him up here in verse 15 where he's just got chased out of town and his friends kind of snuck him over to Athens. Okay, so he's in Athens. Verse 15, he's dropped off there. Verse 16, Paul does what he always did. It was his custom. He goes to the synagogues and to the places of thinking and he starts to reason. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So Paul goes into Athens. He's greatly distressed to see the city full of idols. If you take that word distressed and push it back into the Greek and pull it out into a literal uh, translation uh, into our modern vernacular, it would say this. Paul was deeply troubled within himself, is what it would mean. He was deeply troubled within himself to see the city full of idols. What does that mean? That means that Paul walked into a culture where he vehemently disagreed with how the people thought. One of the Ten Commandments is that thou shalt have no other gods before me. And if you read the Old Testament, which Paul was a master of, because he was a Pharisee, 
So he was a master of it. One of the great, great teachings of the Old Testament is you shall not make a graven image. You shall not worship an idol. Paul comes in as a follower of Jesus, as a believer in God, and the city is screaming the contrary view of what he believed to be the truth of the scripture. And it deeply troubled him within himself. In other words, his blood pressure went up, his heart started to race, his his stomach turned into knots, and he was upset because not only were these people lost, but they stood absolutely opposed to God's truth and God's values, right? So here's Paul in a place that disagrees with him with a desire to reach those who disagree with him and a decision, do I want to make a point or do I want to make a difference? So what did Paul do? He immediately went to Facebook and he was like, Athens stinks, you're the stupidest town in the world, right? Might as well be Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, he immediately went, he put up a billboard, God's going to fry you, God. You know, he, he, <laughs> he got a t-shirt that says, my God's bigger than your God. No, 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 boo, boo, you're going to fry in hell, right? What, what did he do? He wanted to make a difference, not a point. Points are easy to make. So what did he do? Watch this, it's fascinating. He did something crazy, verse 17. He started, ready, this is insane. He prepared, you're not gonna believe this, this is what he did, it's crazy. He started talking to them, verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And you're gonna see here in a little bit, that was the custom, it was the way of the city. He starts talking. He goes to their places of worship, their places of thought, the marketplace. Think of a college campus or university campus. It was a a place where ideas were exchanged. And he starts talking. He didn't protest. He didn't shout down. He didn't make a sign. He started talking. And this is what happened. It's very crazy. It's almost insane. I've never seen anything like it. When he started talking to them, guess what happened? A conversation broke out. He talked to them, and you know what they did? They talked back. Verse 18, a group of philosophers began to debate, don't think argument, think intellectual debate with him. Some asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Ready? Verse 19. Then they, I circled that word in my Bible, they took him and brought him to a meeting where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You are bringing strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Fascinating. He talks, he reasons. This is huge, guys. Lowering your voice and changing your tone does not mean you are apologizing or surrendering truth. It means that you're sharing truth with gentleness and respect. Lowering your voice and changing your tone does not mean you just lost the argument with your spouse. Lowering your voice and changing your tone does not mean that your teenager can't hear you anymore. 
It means that you're opening the door of a relationship. And what happened here is fascinating. People that Paul vehemently disagreed with, in fact, they knew it because he's talking about the resurrection off the bat. They said, hey, would you come to our meeting? They said, hey, would you tell us more about what you're talking about? That's a strange idea. What is this strange teaching? Would you tell us more about it? They said, we would like to know what you mean by the resurrection, right? This is what you call a no-brainer moment, right? If you've been praying for one, if this happens to you, God answered your prayer, right? What are you talking about? What do you mean by that? That's weird. I never even heard that before. That's weird. A conversation breaks out because disagreement happens with gentleness and respect. Paul was listening. He was interacting. He was conversing. He was learning about what they thought. He wasn't out to make a point. He was out to make a difference. Now, here's the deal. If you want to make a point, that's fine. But to make a point, when you make a point, there is no requirement for someone on the other end of your point to care. They don't have to care, and you can still make your point. I told my wife off. Yeah, she don't care. You've done it a thousand times. She doesn't care. I let my teenager, I told them, they know. Yeah, what they heard was blah, 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 blah. They don't care. You made your point, they just don't care. Well, I, I posted it on my wall. Did you? Right? <laughs> Nobody cares. To make a difference, there has to be a relationship on the other side Because in order to make a difference, someone has to be willing to look at you and say, can you tell us what you mean? This, this, I care about this. All right, well, tell me why. This concerns me, well, tell me why. I have a different, well, tell me. There's a relationship, there's a conversation, there's a respect, there's an interaction that's happening back and forth. It's not a one-sided, I'm gonna shout you down, It's a two-way interaction. How many times do you think Paul said, hey guys, what do you mean? What do you mean? You worship this idol, how come? What do you mean? What's the... And so when it was his turn, he got an invitation, right? He's able to make a difference in somebody's life. Now what Paul does next is brilliant. Brilliant, what he does next, right? Verse 21, they said, we would like to know what you mean, verse 21. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. This was the culture. Uh, the modern equivalent for us would be a, a university campus, right, where you're supposed to throw ideas around. It just was the culture. They would do it in the marketplace. They would do it in the places of worship. It was the culture of Athens. So this is what they did. So verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting that he was invited to, by the way, He didn't crash it. They took him there. He stood up in the meeting and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of this very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. That word ignorant, you can't hear it with our Western ear because when we call somebody ignorant, we're just calling them stupid, right? The word ignorant in the Bible means an absence of truth, an absence of knowledge. 
So if Paul was saying this today, what he would say is, I see that you're very religious. You're so into the gods that you're worried about missing one. So you build an altar to the unknown God. And I see that you're, you're, you don't know who that unknown God is. You're ignorant. You're, you're lacking the knowledge of that unknown God. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you who the unknown God is. And this is what you call being culturally relevant, right? What Paul did was he observed their culture and he learned their communication channels and he began to interact with them at their place of understanding. You have an understanding, you have a thought, you have a question, I see it. You have an altar up that asks the question. I have an answer. Remember, you invited me here to tell you about it. So I'm going to tell you that. And what Paul did was he changed his delivery to match the style, the generation, and the culture of the ones that he was seeking to communicate to. In order to communicate to Athenians, he observed their culture, learned their path of communication, and spoke in a way that they understood. How do you know all that, Jeff? Well, because Paul tells us he does this. He does it all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, this is what I do. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 through 22, he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. To the Athenians, I became like an Athenian to win the Athenians. I changed my delivery so it matches the culture, the generation, the style. I'm not changing the message. I'm changing the delivery so that it can connect with the people I'm trying to connect to. Now, let me just move here a little bit, right? If you're not if you're saying the same thing over and over again to your spouse, you're saying it wrong. If you're saying the same thing over and over again to your teenager, you're saying, change your delivery. And I'll say this to Christ followers, especially who grew up in the church. If you're saying the same thing over and over again to the culture, change the delivery that the message comes on. Christ followers have spent way too much time trying to force people to understand the gospel through the same methods that they came to understand it. And the methods have become the message. And it has to change. I remember when I, was, when I accepted Christ, it was 1991. I, the message came to me through a group that looks like grunge rockers and we were all into Nirvana. I don't think that's going to work anymore, right? <clears throat> in the 80s, we used to have big youth rallies and bring in Petra. Some of you, only church people know what that means, right? In the 70s, we used to have reel-to-reel movies and we would play Thief in the Night. Reel-to-reel, before you stream things through Apple TV, you had DVDs, and then you had VHS, and then you had beta, and then you had reel-to-reel. That was us, right? 
if we set, would we set up a reel-to-reel projector to share that? Of course not. It's ridiculous. Why? Because the culture's changed. The generation has changed. Just like we would change our music or our style or the way that we dress, just because you heard the gospel in a meeting that you were dressed up at looking forward, listening to a group of people sing at you, we must change. Watering down the gospel is just as destructive to the gospel as mucking it up. And when the method gets in the way of the message, the method needs to be done away with. Right? You want to make a point? You want to make a difference? I was talking to a guy who is a grandfather, and we're sitting around talking one day, and uh, he said, he said, you know what's, what's wrong with kids today? And I didn't know if he was talking about me or like my children. I'm like, oh, geez, here we go. Music's too loud, right? So <clears throat> what's, what's wrong with kids? And I said, right, what's wrong with kids today? And, and he said, your kids. You know what's wrong with your kids? I'm like, well, I know quite a few things that are wrong with them, but, you know, <laughs> fill me in. And he said, they don't write. I said, what? Said, they don't write. Nobody writes anything anymore. I'm like, that's what's wrong with kids today. It's not crack. It's not drugs. <laughs> It's not lack of a biblical worldview, it's that we don't write. Right, they don't write. Okay, so nobody writes a card, and nobody writes a letter, and nobody, kids today don't write. And I said, I said, you know, I said, they actually write all the time. Like, they write more than I ever wrote. They just do it with their thumbs. Like the, the main way that they communicate is through writing and, you know, abbreviated words. It's like, it's, it's, he said, I go to the mailbox. There's nothing in the mailbox. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much going to keep going that way. <laughs> I tell you. And he's like, they don't write anymore. I said, listen. And, and I said, do you want to connect with your grandkids? Yes. Why? Because I'm afraid for them. Right? Okay. So you want to connect with them? Yes. I said, if you want to connect with your grandkids, go down to the store and get a smartphone. My phone hangs on my wall. Yeah, they go in your pocket now. It's a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful thing, right? Get a smartphone and learn a text, and you'll connect with your kids. You know what that old geezer did? He, he listened to me, went down to Verizon, got an iPhone, had his grandkids teach him how to use it, and guess what he does now? Talks to his grandkids all day, every day. In fact, they get like, we tell grandpa to quit texting us in middle school. We're gonna, you know, I'm trying to sneak my phone into class and it keeps going off in my pocket, right? Because your teachers don't know you have them, right? So it's a, yeah, he changed his method to get his message across, right? Now, we fight about the same things, me and my spouse, right? She probably has told you the method that she needs to be communicated with. He doesn't pay any attention to me. He probably has told you the method that would capture his heart. My teenager, they probably have communicated the method, right? But you are stubborn about the method because you want to make a point, and nobody cares. Paul said, I'd, I'll be anything to anybody. I'll, I'll change that method a thousand times. I don't care. I don't care. I want to save some. The message is what's important. 
The method's irrelevant. It'll change a thousand. If I'm with the Jews, it's Jew. If I'm with the Greeks, it's Greek. If I'm with the Athenians, I'm with the Athenians, right? Now, look what he does next. He leans into their culture. He changes the delivery. And then what does he say? Verse 24, this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. You asked, you invited me. I'm connecting it to you, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Now remember, he's in a city that's all temples. Ouch, but true. Through relationship with gentleness and respect, they ask. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed something. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have being. As some of, our own, of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by human design or skill, the very thing he thought the minute he showed up at the city. He's speaking the truth. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, lack of knowledge, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone who by raising him from the dead. That sound like a watered down message to you? That sound like Paul apologized for the truth? Sound like he backed off at all? How was it delivered? It was delivered through relationship. He started talking to people, learning what they thought, where are they coming from? Did he agree with them? Of course he didn't agree with them. A conversation broke out. It was crazy conversation broke out, an exchange of ideas. He listened to their ideas. They listened to his ideas. They were so interested in his ideas that they invited him to their idea meeting. Would you tell us more? Sure. How am I going to tell you? I'm going to tell you through a delivery mechanism that makes sense to the culture that I exist in, the time and the place that God has appointed me to be. I'm going to deliver it in a way that you can understand it. What are you going to deliver? You're going to water down the truth? No, I'm actually going to kind of hit you between the eyes with it. Changing your method and lowering your tone and seeking to make a difference has nothing to do with apologizing for truth. You just have to decide. You want to make a point or you want to make a difference? I told him. I told him right there. I posted it. Yeah, nobody cares. I told him, my friend, the guy I hang out with every, all the time, we're having a cup of coffee, we're having a beer, we're sitting, we're sitting around chilling, and, and we got to talking about who God is and the change he's made in my life. And how'd you, get, how'd you sneak that in? They asked me. And my wife and I, we, start, we started talking. We weren't fighting, we were talking. And I, fi- I finally understood what she was asking from me. I'm a little dense, right? I finally understood. And, and, and I started to try to give her 
what she was asking for me, it's, it's amazing, man. The more that I was able to understand her and, and move toward her, the more she understood me and moved toward me. So she, you're just afraid of your wife? No, I, didn't, I actually didn't change at all. You're just submitting to your husband? No, I actually didn't. I didn't, I didn't back off at all. We just changed our approach. Now, I love the way that this account ends because it doesn't have a fairy tale ending. And I think this is really important for everyone. When I'm trying to connect with somebody who disagrees with me, there, there isn't a secret formula. There's not a fairy tale ending to it. So look what happens. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. This is ridiculous. Others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Come back to our meeting. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. There is no secret formula to getting people who disagree with you to agree with you. Right? In fact, most of the time, when someone disagrees with you and you have a conversation with them and you do it with gentleness and respect, when you get to the end of it, they're going to continue to disagree with you. It's not the point. It's not a secret formula. Many will disagree with the gospel, but some believed. Okay, some believed. Those who did not believe, something very, very important happened there. Those who sneered were not those who sneered were offended by the gospel, not the ambassador. Big difference. You want to make a point? You can make a point. And people will blow off the messenger. If you want to make a difference, the messenger actually kind of gets out of the way, and people have to interact with the message. If they reject the message, they reject the message. Not a thing in the world we can do about it. If they reject the messenger, there's a lot we can do about it. I can change my approach. I can understand the culture. I can change my tone. I can change my language. See? I can, I can go get the smartphone and start to text. And this is what Paul did. He did. He talked. He reasoned. He used his intellect. It, it was an intellectual engagement. It wasn't a burst of emotion. And he made this decision. I, I don't want to make a point. I can make a point. I don't want to make a point. I want to make a difference. And I'm going to enter into the culture, into the place, into the time that God has placed me. I'm going to understand. I'm going to listen. And when they ask me to explain, I'm going to explain. And I'm going to explain without apology. Right? I'm going to take them to the gospel. And then everybody accepted Jesus? Nope. Most people rejected him, not me, I'm just a messenger, him, but some believed and began to follow, right? That's the band that come out, and as they do, guys, I think, I think there's a lot to work through here, to be honest with you. And I think it comes down to that question, do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Right? This, this, this teaching is very personal to me. 
because I am a phenomenal point maker. I'm very, very good at it. On top of the beautiful exterior, right? <laughs> on the inside, I, I'll just be honest with you, I have a very sharp mind, I have a killer memory, and a very quick tongue. I can think, I can speak as fast as I think. And so when I get into a relational conflict, I can bury you with words. I can out-talk you, I can out-reason you, and by the time we're done, you're apologizing to me, telling me what an idiot you are, which I helped to point out to you, right? So I can do that to Heidi, I can do that to my kids, and guess what? It doesn't make a difference. If I don't have their hearts, what have I won? And I can do it with the gospel. I, I, have, I can deconstruct cultural arguments. Simple, easy peasy for me to do. And it doesn't make a difference. Are you, are you getting in the way of the message? The method is not the goal, the message is. And the Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When I am burying someone in words, it's because, it's because I have hardened my heart toward them and I wanna win the argument. As Christ changes us, as his love fills us up, and our love for people is driven by his love for us and his love for people. See? It's going to reflect in what I say. It's going to come out in my approach. You want to make a point or you want to make a difference? You want to win your spouse's heart or you want to prove her wrong? You want to win your kid's heart or you want to tell them off? You want to win your mom and dad's trust and respect or you want to let them know how stupid they are? Do you want to share the hope and the love and the message of Jesus? Or do you want to rail against cultural decay? You lean into the heart of God. Let him begin to change you. And just give him that latitude to show you, right? Where am I in the way? Where can I step aside? And how can I be an ambassador of a message, right? That can love and help and change someone else's life. Think about it, pray about it. Give God that latitude in your heart even today.